On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk. Now, on this day, August the 13th, uh, 1961, uh, well, first of all, very importantly, my father was a day old. Uh, belated happy birthday, Dad. I hope you're well. Um, but on August the 13th of 1961, that is the day in which the world was introduced to the anti-fascisten Schutzwall, uh, or which is what we now know as the Berlin Wall. Um, in its infancy, it was a fairly crude structure, uh, more, much more so than the one that became to be photographed uh, so much so around the world. Um, parts of it, of course, are still found in Berlin. Uh, Parts of it are found elsewhere across the world, including uh, some bits in some unlikely uh, venues here in Ireland, about which we'll hear more in a minute. Um, The wall is now amazingly gone longer than it ever stood, but there are still some structures like it, uh, including some on this island, which are still around to this day. And Donald Fallon is here in studio to tell us all about them. Donald, good to see you as ever. Um, Who would have thought on this day in 1961 that the wall would become such big business? Isn't that quite ironic that the the, the DDR's wall has been been capitalised and you can buy pieces of it, if you believe that, uh, in souvenir shops all over Berlin. Berlin. You know, mm. I think they're fake relics, to be honest. But yeah. yeah, the real thing is still there. And today, the Berlin Wall is is tourism. Uh, so some parts of it are still standing, as you mentioned in the introduction. Most famously, uh, the East Side Gallery in Friedrichshain. Uh, but I mean, there you've got these kind of street art pieces, more like murals, you might say. Yeah, kind of transform the wall into an outdoor uh, gallery. But if, if you're looking to, you know, see what I would say the real deal down at Bernardstrasse, uh, there's something much more authentic. You know, these mm. really stark parts of the wall remain. Uh, and the various layers of it, because the Berlin Wall, despite the name, was more than just a wall. You know, it yes. was it was a yeah. it was a series uh, of of entrenchments and everything else uh, around them. So there's a watchtower that's still there, for example. And what you're looking at when you stand on Bernardstrasse in Berlin, you're basically looking at a border strip. It's a place literally of life and death. You know, and it's an astonishing place. Even the U-Bahn station then there was in a kind of no man's land. The station itself was in East Berlin despite having entrances on both sides of the city. Ah. So it was just sealed up and became a ghost station. And there's lots of examples of apartment blocks and other things that just found themselves split, quite Mm. literally, uh, by this by this wall. It is very striking whenever you're there and you see the pieces of the wall that are on sale because it's a little bit like people who say that they were in the Adelphi to see the Beatles, that if, if all of it were true, then actually the wall would be a much bigger <laughs> yeah, thing yeah. than it ever was. Um, even back then though, and this is quite surprising really when you think about it, but that it wasn't long before tourists, even in 1961, were going to go and see what the wall was all about. Yeah, and there's definitely people listening to this who, who went down to have a look at it. My uncle did it when he was living in, in Germany, spent many, many years there, and his photographs capture that kind of sense of curiosity. So West Berliners and visitors to West Berlin uh, could go and, and look over this wall. And as one historian of the Cold Wall puts it, you can't really talk about the wall without acknowledging that, quote, the observation platforms set up along the western side to allow West Berliners and especially tourists to gaze across the concrete barrier, to look into the death strip and to gaze into East Berlin or East Germany. So everything, I suppose, ultimately becomes tourism. And certainly from its from its beginning, this bizarre border uh, borderline was something people wanted to see. I'm, I'm a little uneasy about the idea of observation platforms being set up to allow tourists to go in and have a gawk at, yeah. at the, the, the East Berliners living under the thumb of an authoritarian and government. But think about the DMZ where you can you can put a foot into North Korea. You ever yeah. see those pictures people <laughs> take in that strange hut? So this is still something people do. You know, They want to see these these places, these, these contested borders. Uh, one thing striking about it when you consider how extensive it was and the fact that it wasn't just a wall, that it was sort of two walls with these entrenchments in between, was that it it, it went up almost literally overnight. Yeah, because initially it was basically, you know, it was barbed wire and, and other things. So literally this wall appears overnight. And I think the, the DDR was conscious of the fact that if they were public about doing this, well, of course, people would have intervened. It wouldn't have been possible. So mm. It had to be done in a single night. 
Uh, and Katja Hoyes has written a, a great book, Beyond the Wall, East Germany, 1949 to 1990. She kind of captures the, the shock, and it's real shock and anger, uh, that greets this wall. I mean, on the other side of it, Willy Brandt, the mayor of West Berlin, uh, he addresses 300,000 people. Like, just imagine 300,000 wow. people yeah. days later. Uh, and he describes it as the wall of shame. And, and that's a term that they use for, for a decade in, in, in the West. Uh, and Katja writes of how he pleaded with the East German border forces to show humanity and refrain from shooting at those uh, who wanted to cross. And of course, they didn't. And we'll get into the numbers later on. Many, many people died. But you know, equally important, he kind of urged action from world leaders and there was yeah. then a very new very young president in the Oval Office we talked about a few weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, yeah. John Fitzgerald Kennedy who right before he came to Ireland uh, would famously speak yes, at the wall Yes and goes and announces that he, he is Ein Berliner Being yeah. Ein Berliner <laughs> which is one of those yeah. great speeches of history but in, in the immediate you know things were kind of relatively calm the wall stopped this kind of ongoing brain drain which they were having from east to west okay. you know they couldn't keep uh, architects, for example, in the country, they were they were going abroad. Okay. So in the east, yeah, as you mentioned in the introduction, doesn't that sound absolutely ridiculous? Yeah. That it was known the as the anti-fascist Schutzwall, the anti-fascist yeah. protective rampart, reframing yeah. it as something designed to protect the east from the yeah. west. That like that basically like communism wouldn't hold if all these westerners were coming over with their money. So basically, we're trying yeah. to uphold the integrity of the place and by locking them all in. You know, the old Marxist idea that the dictatorship of the proletariat, what says it more than a than a big giant wall <laughs> running between you and your neighbour? Um, one thing which is, of course is worth remarking on when we talk about the wall going up literally overnight is that the, the initial wall is probably not what we'd recognise now. In fact, in a yeah. lot of places it wasn't really a wall. Barbed wire entanglements, uh, fences, you know, if you're going to put something up overnight it's, it's going to look like that. Yeah. Later on, it's an extraordinary thing. Uh, you've got piping on top of it to make it you know, more difficult to physically climb. Mm. 110 watchtowers uh, and the wall that we know the Berlin Wall in our minds was the fourth generation of the wall which was extraordinary wow, yeah. so there's uh, like three iterations before be- the bit that we know began in 1975 more or less finished five years later so yeah that 1980s wall for want of a better word is you know iconic uh, and on its western yeah. side artists were invited to come and paint on it that was controversial you know because some people said we don't want this wall here don't make it yeah, a, yeah. don't make it a beautiful don't, don't turn it into a mural and yeah it kind of reminds me of you know Banksy goes out and paints the wall between you know Israel and Palestine and people say well you shouldn't be doing this you're, mm. you're turning it into a work of art Keith Haring the great Keith Haring uh, went over he painted a chain of interlinked figures which he was kind of famous for uh, in the colours of both German flags and mm. you know the next day they arrive on the scene and it's, it's destroyed you know someone had painted over it in, in, in grey so this you know this debate over whether the wall should be beautified, whether it should be engaged with by artists mm. or whether the aim should be uh, to, to pull it down. And then, and I think I remember from the time as well that there was people who then painted, put more art on the bit that had been painted grey because there was this kind of live debate yeah. as to whether it was a thing to be celebrated or not. Um, when it was gone, and this is always an interesting thing when you have something contentious that shouldn't be there and then is no longer there, you have this argument of whether to destroy the thing that should never have been there in the first place or whether to preserve as a memory for future generations. Yeah. How, how do you commemorate what happened there? I mean, there's, there's not even agreement on how many people died trying to cross it. Certainly more than 140 people died trying to cross it. Yeah. Uh, but also people died trying to swim from east to west, you know, and trying to tunnel from east to west. So these are all undoubtedly deaths connected to the Berlin Wall, whether, whether people died at the wall uh, or, or not. Mm. But then I suppose the, the question of memorialisation, what to do with it comes into play. And there are parts of it absolutely everywhere. It's just extraordinary. I think only the steel of the World Trade Center has probably been spread further around the world uh, in commemoration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's memorials around uh, all over the world. There's one in Waterford City. There's a piece of the, of the World Trade Center in Waterford City. But, I mean, the Berlin Wall, likewise, it's gone everywhere. There's a piece outside the EU Parliament in Brussels. 
the Imperial War Museum in London. Mm. And then there's a really odd piece of art outside the George Bush Presidential Library called <laughs> The Day the Wall Came Down. Wow. And it so shows horses running through the rubble of the wall. And I suppose for America... Right. You know, getting the wall down is something of a political conquest. I mean, mm. there's a, a monument to Ronald Reagan in London, which has a piece of the Berlin Wall uh, beside it. So, yeah, there's one at a crossroads in Seoul, complete with a, a Berlin gas lamp. This thing is absolutely everywhere. Uh, go back to Waterford, because because I, I find this fascinating, and, and it's a little incongruous if you do, kind of don't know the story of it, but like there's... There's two pieces of the wall that you can see in Waterford. Yeah, in, two, in 2015, the Irish Times reported on this in the, in, the, in the grounds of Lismore Castle. And I didn't notice before I was researching this piece today, but to read the quote, it was an impulse acquisition during a trip to the German capital last year. Lord Bill Burlington thought two slabs from the historic structure would serve a better purpose when installed in the grounds of his Waterford residence. So, They would yeah. serve a better purpose. So there you go. They, they, they were in Berlin. <laughs> Doing what they're supposed to do in but Berlin, you know, so which is remind of people of. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, you know what? These these would work better in Waterford than well, from, they would in from, Berlin. From one end of Berlin to the other, you you, you keep encountering it. So I suppose well, it, was, it, it yeah. gave people somewhere somewhere new a chance to to physically look at the thing. Suppose, and it yeah. is a rare chance for Irish people to get a a sense of the the scale. Uh, yeah, because I suppose you can go to Potsdam or Platz, but there's so many bits of it there that actually, yeah, yeah, th- yeah. there's a case to be made for bringing it somewhere that you wouldn't see it otherwise. Um, we talk about um, parallels of, of the Berlin Wall and other kind of um, d- divisions that there are elsewhere. Um, it, it's a very painful reminder that there are still divisions like that on this island and that there's like very famous international walls you know, in Belfast, about which the future is very uncertain as well. Yeah, and bef- like when researching this piece in recent days, I, I just presumed if there's going to be a piece of this wall anywhere in Ireland, there was probably one somewhere in Belfast. Yeah, uh, and I was surprised to, to read that there. Yeah. No, because it's, it's in Waterford instead. Yeah, yeah and maybe, maybe if there's anywhere a piece of the Berlin Wall should stand optimistically mm. on the island of Ireland, it might be in, in in West Belfast. You know, where peace walls. That's a ridiculous term, isn't it? Peace walls. It's such, a, no, such an yeah. oxymoron. But still divide communities uh, from one another at, at night. And anyone who hasn't seen it, you know, near that intersection of the, the Falls Road and the Shankill Road, yeah, yeah. it's a really extraordinary thing. But look, the all-important detail, the Berlin Wall is now gone longer than it stood, which is incredible. Here we are commemorating the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement mm. in Ireland, and we still have these, these, these walls in Belfast. And to quote John Byrne from, from Ulster University, he said, look, the Berlin Wall had to come down for Berlin to be normalised. We have normalised Belfast without taking down the walls. Yeah. And if you spend long enough in Belfast, you'll notice, weirdly, they've become tourism too. You know, you'll see yeah. visitors. I, I've been on the open top buses that have gone yeah. by them. Yeah, the like, open top bus yeah. will stop and they'll hand you a magic marker and you can write on the Belfast wall. So, unfortunately, you know, many residents of Flashpoint communities would say, sadly, the barriers may still be needed in the north, but wouldn't mm. the piece of this other structure remind us that thankfully, you know, all such walls have their day and they, they fall in time. Now I'm wondering whether I got on the wrong tour because I wasn't handed a magic marker. <laughs> so maybe maybe I need, I need to upgrade <laughs> next time and get somebody to hand me a Sharpie so I can uh, write in the peace balls. Um, as ever, Donald Fallon, thank you for that. Donald Fallon is the author of uh, Three Castles Burning, A History of Dublin and Twelve Streets, the Easton's Book of the Year for 2022 and the presenter of the podcast of the same name. Your forthcoming book about the Lamplighters of... Yeah, that should Park. land in October. That should land in October. Actually, funnily enough, yeah, Berlin is the, 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 the world capital of these gas lamps now. Very few left, but the Phoenix Park in Dublin. Hadn't planned that, but just the way it all comes together. (laughs) Uh, Donald Fallon, as ever, thank you very much for that. Donald's uh, podcast, uh, Three Castles Burning, available anywhere you get your audio online. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC, a dedicated private business team built around you. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.